Grace, mercy, and peace to you. In the name of God our Father, amen. You know, today I want to start a new sermon series that I'm calling Hiking the Steep Grade. And it's really a, a sermon series on something we haven't talked about in a while, but it's the idea of success. Now, I want you just to begin to ask yourself, what do you want to be a success at in life? You want your marriage to be a success? How about, do you want to be a success as a mom or a dad or a grandparent? Do you want to be a success at what you do when you go out at the doors in the morning? Or do you want to be a success in terms of being a good neighbor or a volunteer? What is it that you really want to be a success? And then which one of those things would you allow yourself to define yourself wholly as a success if that were good? You know, the cover of U.S. News and World Report a few years ago read this. Success, who has it? How do you get it? And what price do you pay? Everybody, it seems, the article begins, seems interested in success today. But what exactly does it look like? I mean, how do you really know if I'm a success or not? What does it mean? I think those are some pretty normal questions, some pretty interesting questions. I think, you know, we don't often talk about how successful we are in terms of, I don't know if I'm doing a good job or not. Do you think I'm doing a good job? And maybe those are our normal conversations inside the home. But they're certainly normal thoughts. How do you think we did with our kids? You know, they're making bad choices. Was that our fault? Or, or how do you know if it will, what we taught them will continue as they go to college? How do you know if we have a good marriage now? Or is it slipping? Or is it growing? Or is whatever we start getting narcissistic about stuff, you know, and we keep asking, how are we doing? Like when we were kids, how are we doing, Mom, Dad? Look at us. Are we doing okay or not? As we go through life, those questions don't really change a whole lot. We still yearn for success. And I say all these things because the fact is, is I've never met anybody who wanted to be a failure in life. Now, now one person says, I just love to really stink at this. You know, I love being a bad parent. I love being a bad spouse. I've just never met, never met anybody who wanted to do that. In fact, a number of years ago, we did a survey at my last church. And we asked this question, what is the most important word in your vocabulary? And this was 15 years ago, but they said... Success. And it usually went along these lines. I want to be a success in blank. And all the things we just talked about, a success ultimately in life. So that's what I want to take a look at in this series a little bit. What does it mean to be a success? How do you persevere, hence the video, in such a way that you experience what it means to be a success in God's eyes? And since we're going to do a whole series on this, it's not surprising that the Bible says a lot to say about this whole area of success. Now, I'm going to start with this verse from Joshua 1.8, and in it is great wisdom. And if you would hear its wisdom, apply its wisdom, it would transform and change your life. It goes like this. Do not let the book of the law, the first five books of the Bible especially, but I would include the whole Bible today. Do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then God says, you will be prosperous and successful. There's just great wisdom there. If we could hear and if we would apply. It seems like it might be too simple, but it's God's word to us. He says, meditate on my word, stay close to it, do what it says, and you'll be successful. In other words, stay close to God and things go better. Is that fair? Have you ever, anybody ever experienced that in life? When I do it God's way, does it turn out better than when I do it my way? Absolutely. And so what does it mean to be a success in God's eyes? I'm just giving you an introduction to this series today. But the first thing I want to begin with is simply this. I want to start with two things that success just is not. 
And so here are two false measurements of success in our society today, and I want to do it to just delineate a little bit of, way, of the way that God looks at it and the way that our world looks at it. The first point I want to make is essentially this, is that success is not measured by how we look. And I know you say, well, duh, we get that, Pastor, but I don't think our society always gets that. I don't think we always get it because I think those are traps that we fall into. Our society is totally image conscious today. It becomes the all-important thing. I got something on YouTube, and I got X amount of hits, and all these people are looking at me. I'm so excited. For many people, they don't care about whether they're genuinely successful or not. They just want to appear successful. They just want people to think of themselves in that way. That's the goal. And so, drive the right car, wear the right clothes, have the right accessories. If I look successful, who cares what my life is like? Because it may be a mess. For example, have you ever noticed when you go into the store, two shirts exactly alike, but one of them has a little logo on it, and it's twice as much. What's crazy about that, there's a ton of people who will spend the extra money to get that little logo on the shirt. Why? Because of the logo. Why? Because they're buying status, an image, a symbol of success. You think, well, we don't do that anymore. Polo is not that big. Pastor will think this. Mercedes-Benz, BMW. You think anybody buys those cars today for the status? Absolutely. Because they're buying status and image, a symbol of success. And so we buy things that we don't need, with money we don't have, to impress people that we don't even like. But God says success is not how you look. Success is something that's in the heart. And we start saying, "Uh uh-oh, because God says, I look at the heart, not at the appearance. And then he goes on to a second truism that I'll give you this morning, and it's simply this, success is not measured by what I have. Again, we say, duh, pastor, but then we look at our society and how easy it is to to get caught up in this idea of staying up with the Joneses. A lot of people confuse wealth with success today. But have you ever discovered that success and wealth are not the same thing, right? I meet people all the time that are making more and more money and yet enjoying life less and less. The two don't always go hand in hand. Some of you say, if I could just win the lottery, everything would be great. I'd never have to work again. But if we could just take a little step back with just a little bit of perspective, many of you might realize that the reason you haven't won the lottery yet is because you'd never work again. And God says, that's not in my plan for your life. That is not my goal for your life. The Bible says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Jesus said, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. In other words, your net worth is not the same thing as your self-worth. And yet, every single Sunday, we come in here and we have an opportunity to say, God, I want you to be first in the area of money in my life. Don't we? We do it in the offering. We say, God, I want you to be first in this area of possessions in my life. I want you to be first in every area of my life. And every Sunday, we have some people that do. And we have some people that choose their possessions and their wealth. We have people that mix those things up all the time. And God says again, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? I just want to ask you, and I don't want you to feel guilty because you guys do a great job, but it's other services really that are going to struggle with this, right? And, and so it's, but I want you to ask yourself, when you don't tithe, who are you glorifying? Why is it that you're doing what you're doing? What are you trying to gain? Because it's not eternal stuff if you're not doing it. God says success is determined not by what you have and not by how you look, but in who you are. It's your character. 
It's the thing that matters. It's the heart that's underneath. In Galatians 6, 4, it says, each one of us should test his own actions, and then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself with somebody else. And so real success is never at the expense of other people. You know, today is just an overview of this whole series, but we're in this series, we're going to be taking a look at the life of Paul. Why? Because very few people accomplished as much as Paul did in his life. If he'd had a jet plane and a telephone, I think he would have conquered the whole world. You know, he was just amazing. He, he spread Christianity all over the Roman Empire. He was extremely successful, and I think that's why in Scripture, and here's another reason we're going to use Paul, I think it's why, in, because in Scripture it says six times that we are to follow the example of Paul in our lives. So there's a lot that we can learn from this guy. And he's just one guy that seemed to have a lot of this all figured out. So today I just want to begin by giving you a brief biblical definition of success from the life of Paul. And it begins as we go through his life with a sense of direction. You've got to have a purpose as you go through life. I met somebody one time and they just retired and they said, I'm done. I don't have anything to do. I love it. A couple weeks later he says, I'm done. I don't have anything to do. I I don't know what to do. No matter where you are in life, whether you're just starting out, whether you're retiring, no matter where you are, you've got to have purpose in life. You've got to have something that makes your life worthwhile because God's not done with you. If God was done with you, you'd already be in heaven. So you've got to have purpose. And here's, there's a lot of generalizations as you look through a lot of the different generations. There's generalizations about builders and how they developed and, and made this country by hard work. There's generalizations about boomers and how they wanted to change the world, and they did, but in a very negative way. And, and then they got disillusioned and all sorts of things. And then there's generalizations about Gen Xers. That's my generation that were cynical because of all that's transpired before us. And then there's this new generation, the millennials. I think Mike's a millennial or just on the border, and a lot of our kids are millennials. And there's a generalization, I don't know if it's always fair, but it's a generalization that says they're, they're just kind of going through life with no purpose, with no direction, with no end in sight. And they're apathetic to so much of, of where they're going. In, they're just kind of going along. Now, they do care about different things. They just don't have often a life purpose that directs them. In Romans 15, 20, it just says this, Paul says, it's always been my ambition to preach the good news where Christ has not been known, that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. The reality is if you don't know where you're going, you're going to end up in a lot of places that you don't want to be. Paul, as you look at that, knew exactly what he wanted to do, where he wanted to be. He was an entrepreneur. He was a pioneer. He didn't want to take an established church and grow it. He wanted to start new churches, plant new churches. Paul wanted to go where nobody else had ever gone before. That was his ambition. And it was crystal clear as he walked through life. He knew exactly what he wanted. He wanted to bring Jesus to people who did not know Jesus. He wanted to save lives. So he says in Philippians 3.14, I run straight toward the goal in order to win the prize. I want you to notice what Paul says here. So He says, "I, I run in order to win. He didn't say I'm a good loser. He didn't say everybody gets a trophy, right? He he, didn't say, he says, I, I run to win. I want to win. I, I want to make the most of my life. I don't want to settle for second best. I don't want to be a mediocre person. I want to win. It was important that Paul knew what he wanted out of life, but more important was that he knew why. It says here why. He says, I run in order to win the prize. But that was the all-important thing, heaven, Right? He ran in order to win the prize. You know, and when you figure out the whys of life, God often, most often, shows you the house. 
You know, wise give you increased motivation to keep on keeping on. So ask yourself, what do you want out of life? And that's fine, but you've got to know why it is that you want it. You've got to have some sense of direction or you'll never get there. But it's more than just this idea of, of um, what did I say? The sense of direction. You've got to also have understanding. And as you look at Paul, obviously he had a lot of understanding. I think we think biblical knowledge, but I'm going to share this because this was the important thing. In Philippians 4.12, it says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Note here that it says that contentment must be learned. I don't think a lot of people learn it today. It's not a very natural thing for most of us to learn contentment. And often it's a very tough thing for us to learn because we're always looking to the next thing. In fact, some people never learn it. Somebody once asked Howard Hughes, a very rich man one time, how much money does it take a man to be happy? And he said a very famous line. He said, just a little bit more. And I think we get that, right? Just a little bit more salary, just a little bit more at the end of the month, just a little bit more, and everything would be fine. And what's interesting, though, you talk to people, and sometimes people think that there's a, a conflict between setting goals and being content. Like, if you're content, why would you have any goals? You're just good. You're where you want to be. Why would you have any goals? There's a conflict, but there's not. See, you plan for tomorrow, but you live in today. So you find, try to find a way to be content with where you are, but you're always, as you're thinking about the future, moving things in a new direction, in a better direction. There are things that are aspirations, but you find contentment in the journey. I think so often, though, we just get trapped in this, this trap called if only. If only I had more money. If only I had kids. If only our kids would grow up. If only our kids would leave for school. If only, right? And no matter where we are, we're still looking to our neighbor's grass that seems so much greener. It's a trap. And so you need understanding. And you start asking, where do I get this kind of understanding? And we go back to the Bible, obviously, in Joshua 1.8, the verse we started out with, it, said, it says this, study, memorize, apply this book, and you'll be successful. Again, if you hear that today, there's great wisdom in it. Many people never grow in understanding. They don't have 20 years of experience. They have one year of experience repeated 20 times. They never learn anything from life. And if you're going to be a success, you need purpose. You need a sense of direction. You need understanding. And just I want to apply this real quickly to church. There are some people that have gone to church for 20 years and grown in the Lord, right? They've pursued Bible studies. They've, they've pursued learning to tithe. They've pursued trying to figure out how to articulate their faith so they can share with people and invite them to church. They've really grown in 20 years, and they've taken it seriously, and they're amazing people. You can see them in the church. And then there's other people that have gone one time and tried to replicate it for 20 years, and they've not grown They've not joined a Bible study. They've not learned to tithe. They've not shared their faith. And on and on it goes. One has grown and taken it seriously and experienced all that God wants them to experience. And the other is trying to replicate something that they experienced from a child. God says you need understanding. Next thing he says is you need commitment. In the book Passion for Excellence, it says, the drive you need to rise from mediocrity to excellent requires commitment. In Acts 20, verse 24, it says, Paul says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me. He's talking about commitment. Somebody once said, if you have nothing worth dying for, you have nothing worth living for. And yet, I guess in light of that, have you ever noticed how many people are allergic to making commitments today? 
I don't want to be committed to anything. I don't want to join anything. I don't want to get married. The the rates of people that are unmarried and living together are skyrocketing today. The the rates of of unmarried couples having kids today is skyrocketing today. I don't want to be tied down to one job. And so you see people every three years, the average is flipping from one job to the other. They compare. A guy said to this, this to me the other day. He says, life is a buffet, and if you commit yourself up front, taking all the normal salad food up front, then you get down to the good courses, and you might miss out on something because your plate's too full. That's what he said. And I said, well, the tragedy would be, though, getting to the end of the line and have nothing on your plate because you couldn't commit to anything, right? And how many people do you see doing that? Jesus always said, though, as you go through life, count the cost. Count the cost on what it is that you commit to. He says, you've always got to be willing to pay the price for anything that is good in your life. Truly successful people are willing to do things that other people are unwilling to do, unpleasant things, the uncomfortable things, the inconvenient things. So just ask yourself, what is it that you're truly committed to? Because everything worthwhile requires commitment. You know, we just celebrated the life of my grandma yesterday um, at our funeral, and it was just a, it was a beautiful service. And one of the cool things that my grandma shared with me over the years she shared a story about her early marriage and just how hard it was, how rocky it was, how, in some cases, miserable it was early on. She says, but I kept, I kept, I kept at it. I kept working at it. And it's true to my grandma. She says, and I just kept praying. And she, says, she said, you know, because I didn't give up, the last 50 years of our marriage were the best I could have ever hoped for. It was just awesome. And it made all those early years worth it because I got the last 50 years with this guy that I knew he could be, you know, and it was just, it changed everything. And she was just saying this in context of different things, and she said, I just think it's too many couples give up too early today. They're just not committed. Which I guess just leads us to this last point, which is staying power. If you look at the life of Paul, Paul just, he didn't know how to quit, right? He could not be discouraged. He was persistent. He was determined. He had tenacity. He had staying power. In 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9, it says, We are pressured on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. He did not say that it would be easy. Life is hard and God is good. When we forget that life is supposed to be hard, we get confused. When we forget that God is good, we get confused. Life is hard. God is good. And many people think once you've achieved success, or whatever that if only is in your life, that all your problems will be solved. Well, just think about it in terms of the illustration I give. Lots of couples will pray to have kids, and they get kids. Then they pray for strength to get through the early years, you know? And then they pray for strength to get through the high school years. Then they start praying, maybe they'll leave someday, you know? And, And then they leave, and they pray that they would come back. We're never quite content with where we are. One of the reasons many people never succeed in life is that they just give up too soon. Many of you, uh, if you are watching the NBA playoffs right now, and everybody knows as they watch a game that a game can be decided in the final minutes, right? In the final seconds oftentimes. And oftentimes, in the final seconds, you can switch who wins not only the game, but who wins the entire series. In other words, it's not over until it's over. See, great people are simply ordinary people with an extraordinary amount of determination and perseverance. In other words, they just don't know how to quit. Failure is never final for them. It's a temporary setback. Everybody fails. Successful people fail, but successful people have staying power, like the Wright brothers. They get up and they keep on keeping on. 
And often a matter of success is simply a matter of hanging on long enough. Have you ever found that? It's true in marriage. It's true with kids. It's true with your job. Sometimes life is just about hanging on long enough. Maybe you need to do that in your life today. Hang on long enough. There was a, I heard a story of a four-year-old little girl named Amy who was driving with her parents in the car and she was throwing away kisses and all of a sudden she stopped. And her dad said, Amy, why did you stop? She said, sometimes my heart just runs out of gas. And I think we get that. I mean, do you ever feel like your heart just runs out of gas? What was Paul's secret then in the midst of that? You know, we just skimmed the, the surface of the life of Paul today. We're going to go into detail on a number of these characteristics in the upcoming weeks, but, but how was Paul able to keep on keeping on? How was he continually knocked down but not knocked out? In 2 Corinthians 4.16, it tells us, Therefore we do not lose heart, for though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And so Paul's encouragement is simply this. As you go through this life, focus on Jesus. Stay close to your Lord and keep on keeping on. Because if you'll get the power of that truth, of Joshua's truth, right, and you'll, and you'll apply that to your life, you'll be amazed. For Jesus is our comforter, our healer, our forgiver, the answer to all the problems in life that we face. And when you truly understand that, right, Paul says that is the beginning to experiencing what true success is in your life. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.